1: Holy smokes, I've got to do something. All
2: right, me, time to become an American hero. Darkmyths.org, Indianapolis Media Group, proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host. rob clark where research comes to shine and myths come to die stay tuned be right there
3: the indictment? No. You thought it was coming? I think the city had common knowledge (laughs) it was coming. Why is that? Well, uh, my family called me and told me that I was being indicted. Uh, Different people that I know in courthouse circles told me I'd be indicted, so uh, I was indicted. Why? I mean, how did they know this? I wouldn't know how they knew. uh, What what would give them reason to feel me? I wouldn't have the slightest idea. You're saying that even before you went before the grand jury today, you figured you were going to be indicted? I laid eight to five. You laid eight to five? And I will pick the money up. You bet on yourself that you'd be indicted. Right. Why, Mr. Andrews? Uh, Intuition. Do you think that somebody was. But in your opinion, do you think the conspiracy did exist? I don't think now, I'm not saying a conspiracy in relation to Mr. Garrison's investigation. That's his problem. It's my analysis of the Warren report, and I don't mean anyone to take out of context my opinion of a conspiracy. In other words, you're not saying that... You're saying that maybe perhaps Garrison might uncover something the Warren Commission doesn't... No, I don't say that. Actually, I shouldn't have answered the question at all, and before I... Accurately, I begin answer. Now to answer. Not a double back, and is to say back home crawfish, you know. Pull up. Really, I shouldn't have answered that because that's derogatory to the opinions expressed by our honorable assistant district attorney, the Jolly Green Giant.
1: <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode one one eight of the Lone Gummin' Podcast. This is your boy Rob Clark with you today. Okay. We're going to be talking about Clay Shaw today. And the reason we're going to be talking about Clay Shaw today and the reason Jim Garrison went after Clay Shaw was, or part of the reason I guess I should say, was the comments of Dean Andrews, who you just heard uh, right prior to his indictment for perjury by Jim Garrison. And trust me we'll get into them we'll get into that uh but first straight off the bat i wanted to thank all my listeners for your extreme patience and understanding and your well wishes and your concerns uh there was no show last week i was actually in the middle of recording a show last week when i received a phone call that my grandfather had passed away um it was relatively unexpected. Uh, he lived a very long and full life, uh, 91 years, and he was still doing good, still had his mental uh, facilities intact, um, still driving. <laughs> uh, he, he did need some, a little bit of help with the walker getting around, but he, you know he was always in great spirits, and he was, uh, you know, my buddy from a very, very young age. And I, I got to enjoy uh, 42, 42 long years with him, and I'm very much appreciative for that, and he will be missed greatly by me and the rest of our family. So thank you to every, everybody out there for understanding uh, why there wasn't a show last week, and, uh, under, and understanding uh, and being patient with me. Uh, we laid him to rest yesterday, and... I wanted to get back to business. Uh, I, I'd also been down past five days with some horrible uh, I guess it was strep throat. I don't know. Uh, it was brutal, you know, when you swallow and you feel like you know shards of glass are stabbing the inside of your throat. Uh, you know, just general tiredness and feeling like crap, fever. Um, so thankfully, all that is over with, and my grandfather has been laid to rest. Um, hope everybody out there had a great Memorial Day weekend, and, you know, it's been, it's been long enough, and we're going to kick this show off, instead of interrupting the show, we're going to kick this show off, of course, with some
2: ridiculousness of the week.
1: That's right, folks, some ridiculousness of the week, it's back, and better than ever. Uh... Of course, you know, most of you people uh, get, get to see some of this stuff firsthand, and, and uh, there's actually two things that are kind of intertwined a little bit that I want to talk to you about today. And the first thing is, uh, comes to us from the, uh, well, Ralph Cinque and, of course, the Oswald Innocence Campaign, <sighs> you know, it's, it's, either, it's either him or Judy, him or Judy, him or Judy. The most ludicrous crap in the world it comes from these two. Um, you know, but uh, I've got two real good gems for you. So, and I've seen, I've, I've actually seen Judy post about this as well. Uh, Ralph, and uh, there's another fellow uh, by the name of Tom Maros who put something up on YouTube uh, regarding this as well. And what I'm talking about is the Jim Lavell white don't shoot me suit. Okay, um, there's been a big big to-do about, uh, well, I guess basically Judy and Ralph saying that, that Lavelle knew Oswald was going to be shot and that he was going to be uh, holding on to Oswald, and he wanted to make sure that he stood out as, uh, you know, a police officer uh, and did not want to be shot, so in late November. He's wearing a summer suit, uh, you know what it I don't know what that thing is in the South where you don't wear white after labor day uh uh but uh Jim Lavelle did now i I'm not sure if this suit was white or like a real light tan uh I lean toward light tan, but you know whatever whatever it is, it was damn near white um but they seem to uh, think that either this was a don't shoot me suit. Uh, You know, just to make sure, hey, you know, I'll be next to the guy, but hey, don't shoot me. You know, or it was to mark Oswald's position to make sure that the shooter uh, shot the right person. You know, not that having his name and his likeness uh, and him plastered on live television and in various newspapers and magazines and those, you know, over the span of that short weekend there, uh, that... Nobody would not be able to recognize Lee Harvey Oswald. But, you know, this guy Tom Merrows takes it a step further and alleges that, of course, before they proceeded to the basement, they were, you know, the, the officers, Lavelle, Fritz, and all, they were up in Fritz's office on the third floor, I believe it was, and there was actually a direct line of sight from the Western Union uh, store where Jack Ruby purchased his, you know, or sent mo- wired money to Western Union to one of his dancers, Little Lynn, I believe it was. Um, and anyway, he's a legend that he could see Fritz's office from right outside of this Western Union. And he's thinking that maybe Jim Lavelle being in the window and being seen with this white suit so that he would stand out would be a signal to Jack Ruby to say you know hey okay uh, we're going to be going down soon you know of course it's very hard to prove that Um, and Jim LaValle's official response or reason that he was wearing that suit that day was that that's simply what his wife had laid out for him to wear um, he did, in fact, have other dark suits. He was, uh, photographed, I believe, on Saturday, Friday or Saturday, and, uh, he did have on a dark color or black suit, um, so we know he did have other suits, um, but according to him, that was the suit that his wife had laid out for him, and it's something about that the suit was, it came to him secondhand, and it had to be, uh, altered in certain places to fit him correctly. Uh, I'm not sure the whole background on it, but that's the story. Okay? So, that's ridiculous enough uh, that Jim Lavelle would wear knowingly wear this horrible white suit in late November in winter. Uh, but, of course, the second one is even more ridiculous than the first. Um... Ralph Sinkay is alleging on his blog that the person that shot Jack Ruby in the basement was not, in fact, Jack Ruby at all. That's right. He says that through keen camera placement and with a little help from detectives that were arresting with him and struggling him to the ground uh that his identity was concealed and that we never actually saw jack ruby's face therefore we cannot conclude that jack ruby was in fact the shooter he says that this guy the shooter was a little cuz you know ralph's an expert on 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 uh you know bodies and clothing and, mm-hmm. and and things of this nature uh you know as we can see from his work with the doorway man <clears throat> um But he says this figure in the basement is just a little too burly, husky, uh, broad-backed, you know, different haircut than than Jack Ruby. Uh, And it's just ludicrous for this not to be Jack Ruby, okay? I mean, he was seen by various other policemen and newsmen who knew who he was in the basement before he actually shot Oswald Um, and after he was arrested he was questioned by several Dallas police officers who knew who he was who recognized him who spoke with him, who questioned him and who will attest that it was in fact Jack Ruby and of all the instances that Jack Ruby had to speak both to the Warren Commission to his lawyers on camera in court in books never ever ever did Jack Ruby ever deny shooting Oswald ever ever why would he need a murder double it makes no sense whatsoever um it's just ridiculous it's ridiculous and that folks is your ridiculousness of the week so oh my god what is this (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Ralph is going to sing us out Of that segment oh. <laughs> I think I've heard this tune before hmm. Sounds very old Hmm pretty catchy tune okay I won't put you through any more of that misery thank you Ralph (laughs) Sinkay. he never fails to bring us a good tune Uh. oh god alright enough of that I can't take it anymore Ah. Sorry, I couldn't find Ralph's song. Ruby didn't do it. Uh, but maybe he's yet to record it. I don't know. We'll f- I'm sure if he hasn't yet, it will be in the near future. One of Ralph's instant classics. For more great Ralphs and K-Tunes, make sure you look up his YouTube channel. <laughs> if you, or if you just want a really good laugh. Um, okay, enough of all this ridiculousness. Let's get into what we're going to talk about here today, and that is Clay Shaw, damn it. Now, how did Clay Shaw come into the purview of Jim Garrison and his investigation? Well, I'll tell you. And that's the reason I played Dean Andrews at the beginning of the show. Because Dean Andrews told Jim Garrison that the afternoon of the assassination, he received a phone call and personally on the other end of the line was someone who he had done a little bit of business with in the past a fellow by the name of Clay Bertrand who asked him to travel to Dallas to be counsel basically be Lee Oswald's lawyer now in the past this Bertrand fellow had obtained the services of Andrews to for some of his homosexual clients. Um, Bertrand was believed to be a homosexual uh, with a lot of money. And Andrews told Garrison initially that he believed that Bertrand was Clay Shaw. And um, he later retracted that statement and hence the perjury charges but uh, he weathered the storm now there's only a couple reasons that highly intelligent lawyers change their story you know one is uh, if they realize that maybe they opened their mouth and shouldn't have and don't really want to get sucked into this whole mess, or, of course, there's the old, uh, good old-fashioned just threat. You know, hey, we're gonna kill you and your whole family uh, if you say anything. Da 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 da. Um, you know, and old Dino didn't 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 uh didn't make it too long after that. I'm sorry, I'm mistaken. He made it till uh, 1981, actually. So he's not a uh, a uh, early early death. Um, but uh, basically, you know, about two weeks after the assassination, the FBI reported that Andrews had submitted that Bertrand was a figment of his imagination. Uh, the FBI report stated that Andrews had been hospitalized at the time with pneumonia and was under heavy sedation. Which is, of course, why he told the Warren Commission that he did not uh, accept the offer to go be Lee Oswald's lawyer. He was actually in the hospital sick at the time and couldn't make it. However, Andrews later would deny the FBI report, claiming that he had never suggested that Bertrand might not be real. Later, Andrews would claim that Bertrand was a cover for his friend Eugene Davis. In later years, Andrews continued to maintain that he had, in fact, received a phone call asking him to defend Oswald, but claimed that he was afraid to reveal the caller's true identity. And that was basically the story he took to his grave. So, a lot of flip-flopping, but in the end, of course, the truth comes out. He was afraid to reveal the person's true identity. Now, why would you be afraid to reveal the person's true identity? Well, maybe if you think they might be wrapped up in some kind of elaborate conspiracy to kill a president of the United States, that you probably wouldn't stand a good chance of, uh, uh, you know, revealing information about that. Um, it's enough to scare anybody. But, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> Now, Andrews also states that in the summer of sixty-three, Lee Oswald had actually visited his office, and he was seeking legal advice uh, about the, uh, his wife's about, or about his citizenship status and his wife's status and his undesirable discharge from the Marine Corps. And Andrews remembered him because he thought he was a little swishy, swishy. He said he walked a little swishy. I thought he might have been a little I thought he might have been a swinging cat if you dig what I'm saying um so <laughs> old Dino man I mean I love the way the guy talked I mean you can't beat it you just can't beat it Um. even in that short little piece I played at the beginning there's some gems you know so I was indicted uh <laughs> but you know the truth of course eluded jim garrison and come to find out later clay shaw actually did have ties to the cia huh. you know all all these papers papers came out uh you know later on that now clay shaw died in, i believe 72 74 i might have to check that um but, you know, it wasn't too long after the, the garrison trial that, that, that uh, Clay Shaw was passed. And, you know, the official documents say that he was a contact, uh, CIA contact agent, and was so for a period of approximately 10 years or so, up until 1956. But, you know, if you're in a position such as Clay Shaw was in which is part of head of an international trademark which allows you to travel to many different countries uh, sit on many different boards of directors for various important companies and uh, things of this nature then you know the CIA might put down that your relationship ended in 56 when in fact it really didn't end then um but this is not. I'm not saying that that Clay Shaw was a honest to God CIA agent that planned the assassination of the president. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, I'm just saying that it has been proven and it has came out that he did have CIA ties. Okay. Um. Now, interesting to note, and it's been mentioned in previous episodes that the first phone call that. Clay Shaw made after he was arrested was to Fred Lee Chrisman. Now that's a very odd person for Clay Shaw to be calling uh, first right after he's arrested because one would think initially that there could be no tie there whatsoever to Clay Shaw. I mean, Fred Chrisman lived in Washington State. Clay Shaw lived in New Orleans. But when you start digging and digging and digging, it becomes very clear that Fred Crispin made many, many trips to New Orleans in the early 60s, probably at least 20 in 1963 alone. And I forget the exact number uh, that was given, but, uh, you know, numerous, numerous trips. Um... Turns out, also, Friendly Crisman was a homosexual as well. So they could have met or known each other from this, these various circles, um, and they were also in the service together at about the same time, and could have definitely met uh, both former, uh, you know, military intelligence guys. Uh, likely knew each other. Um, So, there's a lot here. Now, Garrison went after Fred Christman. He believed Fred Christman was a government agent, CIA agent, but he couldn't prove it. Um, In fact, we have documents now that the CIA has released and Joan Mellon had atta- obtained them, referring specifically to Fred Lee Chrisman as an agent of the Central Intelligence Agency Thomas Beckham has said in print in his own book and to the HSCA that Fred Lee Christman was his CIA handler and that of course Beckham worked for the CIA as well but that Fred Lee Christman was his handler he said Crispin was you know just a very intelligent uh, guy he was still linked excuse me still linked to several branches of intelligence and military industrial complex type contacts Um, extreme right wing Contacts, You know, later on, of course, after the Garrison thing and uh, Fred Crispin in the late 60s, early 70s, hosted a radio show under the pseudonym of John Gold. And he also wrote a book under the same pseudonym um, called The Murder of a City, Tacoma, Tacoma, Washington, where he wrote very extensively about the politics going on in this town and how it was being uh the town was just being murdered you know by 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 these horrible politicians and you know they needed to go back and 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 it was becoming a very left-leaning town and very liberal and you know of course chrisman is more right-wing you know old school type dude anti-integration uh didn't want to move anything forward, like, keep things the way they were. Um, So, you know, he was very outspoken about that. And I even obtained the book, uh, Murder of a City, Tacoma. And he briefly mentions about the Kennedy assassination and the Garrison investigation. And, of course, he didn't admit anything. Um, But I would encourage everyone to go back and read Thomas Beckham, uh, his HSCA testimony and I'll put a link to it with the post for this show uh, it's you know maybe about 20 pages long uh, his book is is out there if you can find it, good luck uh, it was self-published not too many copies exist uh, I've never seen one on Amazon I managed to managed to obtain one myself uh, last year did a show about it so if you want to go back and, and check that out um, that'd be cool with me if you want to learn more about that what he said in the book uh, it mirrors pretty much what he's told the HSCA you know he said the Christmas was so important he had a car phone in his car in the early 60s okay and this is way before cell phones people okay uh, so, keep thinking this, this kind of technology doesn't exist. Um, and, of course, Chrisman was uh, involved in the whole Maury Island incident, UFO sightings, things of this nature. Um, you know, but look, back to Clay Shaw. Um, was Clay Shaw involved in the Kennedy assassination? You know, well... You know, Garrison found a few people who could put him in the company of Dave, of David Ferry and Lee Oswald, um, Perry Russo. You know, a lot of people say that Perry Russo was incredible. Well, you know what? Perry Russo maintained his story, and he told it in court, and he told it with Clay Shaw sitting right there. And he pointed him out in court. Said that's the guy I saw, using the name Clay Bertrand, when they met, and at David Ferry's apartment, they were discussing the Kennedy assassination. Now, this doesn't mean that, that Clay Shaw was some kind of uh, you know planner, organizer of the event. Um, he was just in the right circle of people and probably a high ranking uh, of power in the city um, with with ties to these right wing extremist groups um, intelligence things of this nature um, that, that you know maybe he was privy to some information but Perry Russo maintained his story up until up until the the uh, the nineties, you know, his life was never the same after testifying at the, at the a Garrison trial. You know, he could, could never hold a job. Couldn't you know? Couldn't have a decent life, but he never changed his story. For at least twenty five more years, he never changed his story. Not once. When he had every opportunity to go back and say, "Look, Garrison made me say this. Garrison made me say that." This didn't really happen. I didn't really see him there, but you know I wanted this. They always promised that. None of that. He maintained till the day he died that he saw Clay Shaw, David Ferry, and Lee Oswald together in, the, in David Ferry's apartment. Okay. Uh, there was also, I think, Garrison found another witness who had saw seen uh, David Ferry with Clay Shaw, not at his apartment, but in a uh, different venue. Um, we have the incident in in Jackson, Louisiana, Jackson Clinton. Uh, you know, where, where Lee Oswald was there disrupting the Congress on racial equality voter registration drive for Black voters, um, seen by multiple witnesses throughout the town. You know, and pointed out to in court. You know, of course, some of these witnesses were discredited. um, But, you know, it's, it's things like this that were why Jim Garrison was going after Clay Shaw. Look, David Ferry would have been the prime one. Would have been the prime one. Now, Jack Martin right after the Kennedy assassination of course walked into Jim Garrison's office and said look you need to talk to this guy he was in New Orleans or he was in Dallas you know on November 22nd 1963 it had something to do with Kennedy assassination you need to talk to this guy so Garrison did and of course David Frey said oh no me and some friends were just uh, ice skating for the weekend duck hunting whatever we were doing uh you know, nothing, nothing to see here. And, uh, well, Garrison turned him over to the uh, FBI anyway. Of course, he did the same song and dance for the FBI, and they determined that there was nothing there and was not pursued any further. Was not interviewed by the Warren Commission. David Ferry was not. Um, Dean Andrews was, however. Okay. Um, now, of course, David Ferry passed in leave 67 and he had started talking by then to some of Garrison's investigators he was actually being held I don't know if it was a default blue hotel under protective custody by uh Lou Ivon um right before his death because he was worried that you know somebody's going to come get him well he stayed there for a couple nights he started talking um Kind of told Ivan, you know what, what was going on, and then you know he was said, you know he just couldn't stay there anymore. He had to go home, um, get get some affairs in order, and this, that, and the other. And a couple days later, he did, he's dead. Okay, dead. And <clears throat> you know whether or not he was a witness with information or a participant in some form or fashion. Uh, whether it be to, to fly out the conspir- the shooters or what what he was doing in in Texas on November 22nd, uh, I'm not exactly sure. But it all seems a little sketchy. You know, and of course, David Ferry is associated with, of course, Guy Bannister, Carlos Marcello, G. Ray Gill, and the whole New Orleans crew. You know, now it didn't take long. Now, obviously going back over some of this stuff, you know, you, you look at the the garrison trial and, or the investigation, because while the movie JFK is very good in some areas, it um, kind of lacks a uh, little truth and substance in others. Because in fact... You know, Jim Garrison never stood up in court and gave these nice, long, eloquent speeches and, you know, questioned witnesses. Much of that stuff was done by his assistant DAs. Almost all of it. Garrison wasn't even present for half the the interviews or the grand jury testimony. Okay, he just wasn't. Um you know he left a lot of that to his to his associates and and that's not to say that his investigation wasn't compromised at every turn either and infiltrated okay because look whether he knew it or not and us and you know new orleans was a hotbed for cuban exiles mafia um gun-running, women, seedy, sexual deviants, um, anti-Castro, extreme right-wingers. Okay? I mean, this was a veritable intelligence hotspot. Okay? And the CIA and the FBI were monitoring events in New Orleans very, very closely. And as we've come to find out, um, several CIA-associated individuals, such as Sergio Arcasha Smith, uh, and various others, you know, were in New Orleans that summer, and were you know trying to run these organizations, these anti-Castro Cuban exile. Organizations and this, that, and the other, and Free Cuba Committee and blah, 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 you know, Democratic Friends of Cuba and, you know, the Student Directorate, uh, you you name it. There's just all kinds of stuff going on. Then you got Bannister doing what he's doing, trying to out the Reds, you know, trying to figure out who can be trusted and who cannot in the city. And to out any possible communist activity and disrupt disrupt any uh, civil rights activity when it comes to integration. Um, you know, because Bannister was involved in all that. when I talked to Keith Gilbert and you hear him say, what Bannister was doing there sounds just like a page out of the Minuteman Handbook. That this is this is definitely a program that they would have done. You know, it said he said it sounds just like. And look, Bannister was a Minuteman, member of the John Birch Society, Minutemen, uh, the Louisiana Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, you know, he he published several hate letters scenes or whatever you want to call them, uh, publications, um, you know, and had a lot of right wing contacts throughout the South, there and into Texas, in in Louisiana, on around to Florida, uh, Alabama, Georgia, and the like, and you know when you when you when you read a book like like Dr. Caulfield's book. You see the connections, you see the people and how they are connected to folks like General Walker, Willoughby, uh, Bishop, Colonel Bishop, um, you know, and you can kind of see the progression from the top down. And next week on the show, hopefully, I'm going to have another Minuteman for you. And we are going to be discussing all that in way 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 more detail um, so hopefully that comes and happens and, and I'll have it for you right here it's going to be something that you're not going to want to miss so make sure you stay in tune for next week's show um, but you know back to Clay Shaw for a second you know he was he was fairly confident that that uh, that the charges weren't going to stick to him and you know in a lot of the footage you can see him smoking and joking literally smoking and joking in the courtroom with his lawyers and smoking cigarettes and uh you know talking to the newsmen and and joking with them and and just being an all around good spirits. you know being fairly confident that this was not going to stick like he knew it wasn't going to stick you know what I mean like like, he pretty much knew, you know. I mean, despite all the eyewitness you know, testimony to the contra- con- contradictory. Wait a minute, I'm saying that wrong. Contrary. That's the word I'm looking for. Despite all the eyewitness testimony to the contrary. Um, who placed Shaw in the company of Ferry and Oswald, or Leon Oswald, or whoever this guy was. Might have not even been Lee Oswald. For all we know, it could have been somebody in person named Lee Oswald as Leon Oswald. Because Perry Russo could not identify Lee Oswald as the person until a scraggly beard was drawn on the picture and he says, oh yeah, bingo. That's the guy I saw. So who the hell knows who Perry Russo saw? Because Lee Oswald was never known to have a scraggly beard. You know. Or used the name Leon. So, who the hell knows? But what he was fairly sure of, it's hard. I mean, Clay Shaw was a very distinct looking individual, as was David Ferry. Uh, you know, David Ferry had alopecia, no hair on his body, wore, you know, a horrible, shitty, messed up looking wigs on his head, and drew big grease pencil eyebrows on his face. You know, these two guys were like, Laurel and Hardy. I mean, they stuck out in a crowd. You know, Shaw was very, very tall. You know, and Ferry looked like a damn clown with no makeup. Um. So, these two guys had very distinct looks. You know, you're not going to mistake these guys for other people. You're just not. You know, and back then, you know, like Joe Miller likes to say, you know, Jim Garrison did not want to make his homosexuality a focus or even mention you know when we're we're talking about all this stuff because then you're getting into the seedy side of things Um, you know because back then the stuff was more taboo than it is today I mean today we're generally okay with people being gay Um, of course there's some people out there that still don't like it um, and to the extreme but for the most part you know General awareness has been made that, you know, hey, this is, you know, if you're, if you're gay, you're kind of born this way, and this is just the way things are sometimes in nature, and just have to accept it and let people be who they are, you know, and uh, it is what it is, you know. But a lot of this stuff with a lot of these guys, you know, stems from a feeling of power over another person, another man. Um, I don't know. It's like a. It's like they get off on it. that they can have this power over another man to make them do what they want to do, and uh, you know, engage in sexual activities with another man like that. Um, for a lot of people, it's a power trip. That's the turn on. It's not necessarily the, you know, oh my god, he's so cute, like totally, like god you know, it's more like yeah, that's right you're going to get on, you're going to, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, a wealthy person power trip, you know, where they have it all, they have whatever they want, and it just is what it is, you know, it's been going on for eons, you know, back to Greece, but whatever, you know, Garrison didn't want to use that in the investigation, didn't want to mention, although many of his witnesses were discredited, and, you know, for, as being homosexuals, drug abusers, things of this nature, um, and when that's the element that you're pulling, that you're, your, you know, your witnesses from, and to try to put away another member of this uh, seedier side of life, you know, maybe he should have went there, but that's my opinion. <clears throat> but anyway, Clay Shaw was in a couple hours, deemed not guilty of having anything to do with the assassination of President Kennedy. Maybe things would have been different if David Ferry had lived to uh, speak at the trial, if uh, Dean Andrews had not retracted his original statement, uh, if the alias that Clay Shaw gave at the... uh, Police station was allowed into evidence. Maybe things would have been different. But what does it really mean? You know, I don't think Clay Shaw was involved at in an operational level as far as the Kennedy assassination. But I would think that he would have to know uh, what was going on there, at least in New Orleans, uh, there in the summer of '63. I mean. This stuff's happening right out in front of his trademark. You got Lee Oswald handing out pro-Castro flyers in front of his ha- in front of his uh, trademark on the news. And in some of the footage, you can see Clay Shaw walking in the background and into the building. You know, most people don't know. Hey, David Ferry, Civil Air Patrol headquarters, trademark building. That's right, trademark building. And you know there has been uh other things too I'm gonna pull up something here and and read to you and this is from I believe uh one of Clay Shaw's secretaries who uh let me see here was interviewed by the uh yeah FBI uh, this is from March 5th, 1967. Uh, RenoTel to Bureau, February 25th, 1967, 2:02 p.m. Advised this date that Aura Lee Clay Shaw's former secretary at the International Trademark, New Orleans, who is employed by the Heart Fund at the Ashner Clinic. Stated in front of Dr. Charles Moore and others at the Auctioner Hospital, 31 last, after Clay Shaw's press conference where he advised that he had never met David Ferry, that she had seen Ferry go into Shaw's office in the International Trademark Building on a number of occasions, and believed Ferry had privileged entry into Shaw's office anytime he wanted it. Informant furnished the following information in the strictest confidence since it was furnished to him by a cameraman for channel redacted. Uh, it just says New Orleans, uh, who swore informant to secrecy before furnishing the information. Informant advised that according to redacted He had talked to the judge who had had handled the matter involving Clay Shaw, and this judge stated that after he had seen the evidence District Attorney Garrison has, he strongly believes that if the case against Clay Shaw goes to a jury, the jury will vote 11 to 1 in favor of uh, conviction. According to Redacted, Garrison's ace in the hole is well-documented proof Consisting of a certified photostatic copy of a job application made by Lee Harvey Oswald in his own handwriting during the spring or summer of 63 with a trucking company, name not mentioned, believed to be in New Orleans, in which Oswald listed three personal references, one of whom was. Jack Ruby. Also mentioned that attorney Sam. Zeldon has knowledge of this application as he is an attorney for this trucking firm Bureau will be advised of any pertinent developments so there's that now 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 now. Uh, you know we hear from Clay Shaw's personal secretary Ora Lee Kept her mouth shut for years because she was scared to death to say anything. Reported to the FBI that she had seen David Ferry in Clay Shaw's office in the trademark on a number of occasions. And she believed that Ferry had privileged access to Clay Shaw, which means he could show up whenever he wanted, didn't have to have an appointment, da-da-da-da-da. Now, like I said before, David Ferry is a very unique looking individual and the fact that she knew who this man was saw him on a number of occasions uh, you know tells you that she's fairly sure that the person she saw was David Ferry meeting with Clay Shaw about what of course we don't know But, uh, you know, this uh, this other thing they're talking about, you know, this Jack Jack Ruby personal reference on a Lee Oswald handwritten application for a job? Uh, Garrison said that he had this in his possession. Now, that, folks, is what we call, if it's real, a smoking gun. Because Jack Ruby... Used to frequently go to New Orleans to, you know, hire. Because I'm guessing it was somewhat of a trade to keep fresh girls in the clubs. You know, he would go to, to New Orleans and, and and you know meet with these other club owners and kind of shuffle the girls around a little bit. Uh, I think that's where he got Jada from with New Orleans. Um, so. <clears throat> You know, it's very possible, very, very possible. These two knew each other beforehand. Uh, If Jack Ruby's involved with the mafia, Carlos Marcello, or just you know, right wing, right wing connections, this, that, and the other could have come in contact with Jack Ruby. Met him. Hard to tell. Hard to tell. But interesting nonetheless. Interesting nonetheless. You know, and uh, so was Clay Shaw a person of interest? Yes. Do I believe that he told the the entire truth of what he knew about the Kennedy assassination? Hell no. Hell no. Um, I'm not saying that he was a primary principal behind the assassination but I believe he did have knowledge of some things um the movers and the shakers and the players if you will um but I still think the jury ended up getting it right you know you need beyond a reasonable doubt evidence proof that the man was guilty and the garrison just didn't have it um at the time you know, if he had what we know now maybe he would have come out with something maybe that would change Clay Shaw's tune a little bit get Clay Shaw to open up start talking himself who knows we'll never know but anyway that's it for this week I just wanted to get a show out there and, and, and uh, thank everybody for, for tuning in and checking it out and understanding why I didn't have a show last week, I greatly uh, apologize for that. But it's you know it's life, man. You know it's one of the things that happens sometimes. And you know, just I, I appreciate everybody's warm wishes and uh, keeping me in your thoughts and prayers and and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, it's much appreciated, much needed, and and thank you so much. Um, now, as you all know. I'm part of a podcast collective called dark myths where you can find that at DarkMyths.org. where you can find a ton of other podcasts cut from the same mold, the same vein, the same cloth as this show here. I'm talking true crime. I'm talking full on first person narratives to fantasy stories, uh, fiction, um, You know, you can find a podcast about Russia, Russian life, Soviet life. You can find podcasts about myths and legends, the strange, the unusual, uh, you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff and good stuff. Only quality stuff you're going to find at DarkMist.org. Just like the Lone Gummen podcast, you're going to find other shows you're going to dig if you check it out. So on the post for this show... If you see the Dark Mist banner, click on it, it will take you right there. And we're featuring a show every month from our podcast collective that we're all going to promote the hell out of. Okay? And for the month of May, it was Pete's Paranormal Chronicles by my friend Corey Mambo And it's a great show, it's funny, it's hilarious, it's you know, it's a short 15-20 minutes every week. Um It's a horror mockumentary, uh, comedy, and it's kind of in the vein of found audio, in quotes. Um, much like Blair Witch Project was found video. Um So what we're basically listening in on, if you tune into Pete's Paranormal Chronicles, is a paranormal investigator by the name of Pete Schwartz from the late nineties. Okay, is chronicling his adventures, uh, with the strange, the unusual, and the paranormal, and uh it's hilarious it's, it's, it's a great show Corey does a great job with it um, so I encourage everybody to check it out I'm, pl- I'm going to play you a short trailer uh, and that will be the show and I'm also going to have a banner for Corey's show Pete's Paranormal Chronicles up for the post for this show as well all you can do is click on it it will take you right to Corey's website okay, where you can check out all the episodes um, or find it on iTunes You know, it's on there it's on Stitcher that I know of so and it's on Google Play as well so any of those you can subscribe to it um, or you can go right to his website and, and have a listen but I encourage you to subscribe as well here's a little trailer for Peace Paranormal Podcast and we'll be back to wrap the show up enjoy
2: from the imagination comes a story of a paranormal investigator and a nationwide conspiracy that will make your head spin it's Pete's Paranormal Chronicles, a horror mockumentary series, now presented in supersonic sound. You want action? PPC will deliver. Action.
0: Uh, uh, uh.
2: Drama. I'm sorry, buddy boy, but that's a life, you know? Sometimes people die, you hear me? Anthropomorphic alligator jazz musicians shouldn't Suspense According to Bill, Jonathan had plans to meet with Sarah at her place later that night to watch a movie and he was secretly expecting some hot stuff to go down. Sadly, he never made it to Sarah's place, and nothing hot went down at all. And horror. The Dark Myths Podcast Collective presents Pete's Paranormal Chronicles A Comedy Horror Show Turn the volume up Turn the lights down
1: Alright folks, that's it for this episode. This bitch is in the can. Beamed up to the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. And don't forget to head to www.tlgpodcast.com for more. And like the damn show on iTunes, people. Please, hook a brother up with some good reviews. It helps my show get noticed. So please... Leave me a good review on iTunes, Google Play. Damn it! And if you subscribe on Google Play, you get a notification on your mobile device that a new episode has dropped. That's right. It's a good thing to have in your life. I'm telling you people, get up on it. Make sure you're tuning in next week. Hopefully, another real live Minute Man will be on the show. That's right all goes well. Benjamin Banger, baby. freemusicarchive.org Enjoy the rhythm.